Hello. Welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. Let's take a look at Matthew 5, verses 17 to 24. These are Jesus's words. Jesus says, Do not think that I came to destroy the law of the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, for I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. In the very first verse of the passage we're looking at today, Jesus wants to re-radicalize us. I want to read the first line again. It's verse 17. Listen to this. He states boldly, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but I come to fulfill them. Right here in the very beginning, Jesus lays it down. And this would have shocked his hearers because the law was everything to them. But to say that Jesus is actually fulfilling something that for over a thousand years was a part of their life would have been almost inconceivable. I want to ask us a question, reflective question. Already, you're probably wondering, what difference does that make for my life? Why would the laws of a theocracy from 3,400 years ago have any significance for our life? And that's what I want to get to right there. Because what if what Jesus is saying here actually is not just the fulfillment of the law for a bunch of people from a long time ago, but he is fulfilling the deepest longings of your heart and the needs of the world. And that takes us to the point of this message. And I want to frame the message around a question for us. All right, here's the question. How does Jesus's fulfillment of the law fulfill the deepest longings and aspirations of our life? Because what if what Jesus is talking about here is actually the fulfillment of what you are longing for and aspiring for in your life? So to do that, we're going to look at a few things first. Before we can get to how Jesus fulfills the law, we need to understand what the purpose of the law was. And then we need to learn Jesus's lesson about the Pharisees. They have something important to teach us about how we respond to the law. So let's go back to the law. What is the purpose of the Mosaic law? Now, the first thing you probably think of when you think of the law is the 10 commandments, right? You know, that whole, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, that whole thing. Now, that's a part of a larger set of the law that's found in Exodus. But there's actually a larger story that that's a part of. There's the first five books of the Hebrew Bible is called the Pentateuch. And in that, it it communicates the story of God giving people his law. They rebel. He adds more law. They rebel again. He adds more laws. By the time we get to the end of it, we have 613 laws. The Old Testament is the story of God's guidance through his law and our rejection of that law and his patience and refusal to give up on us. The purpose of the law was to guide us in loving God and loving our neighbor as ourself. If we were to want to sum up all 613 individual rules, Jesus sums it up for us in this way. Listen to this, Matthew 22, 37. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This 
is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is love your neighbor as yourself. Now this is where he really nails it. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So what is Jesus saying? He's saying that you can sum up the entire law and prophets into this idea of loving God and loving one another, which helps us understand the very purpose of the law. The purpose of the law was to protect the integrity of our relationship with God and with each other by setting a standard of divine love. So in essence, the law was about God's love. It was the revelation of God's perfect love. And he wanted to guide us on the path of his love. So that's why in verses 18 to 19, in the passage that Jeff read for us today, Jesus is, goes out of his way to communicate that he didn't come to abolish the law. He didn't come to wipe that away because the law represents God's perfect love. And Jesus didn't want to do away with that standard of love. So there are two problems that the Old Testament shows us that people have with the law that gets us to what Jesus is going to show us today. The first problem that the Old Testament shows us is the way that people respond when they realize there's a gap between what the law requires of them and their ability to follow it. Number two, um, the way that they begin to focus on the behaviors of the law and ignore the kind of person that the law is asking us to become. I wanted to say that again one more time. Number one, they focus or they get tripped up on the gap between what the law requires of them and their ability to actually follow through with the law. Number two, as a result of that, they begin to focus on the behaviors and the actions of the law, the outward external form of the law, and they ignore the kind of person that the law is asking them to become. Now, that takes us to the Pharisees, because see, the Pharisees were a group of of non-priests who were committed to taking the law really seriously. They were just like, we're going to take it so seriously that we're going to inspire other people and we're going to show people how to take the law seriously and live it out in their life. All right. So the Pharisees um, were the, as my teenage son calls them, the tryhards, you know, the people who, whatever they do, they're going to do their absolute best and try harder than everybody else and prove to everybody that they're the best. Um, But what happened for the Pharisees was what happens invariably for all of us. And that is that the harder they tried to obey the law, the more they realized that they were failing. Now, that's what happens for anybody and everybody. The harder they try to follow the law of God, the more they begin to realize how unable they are to actually be the person that the law is asking them to be. Have you ever done that in your life? Have you had an experience where you're trying to do something and the harder you try, the, the more you fail at it? I remember it was like me learning to ski. I was trying so hard. I mean, everything that that coach was telling me to do, I was absolutely determined to apply, but I kept falling on my face. And at one point I am on this slope. I am face down in the snow. And you know, you have poles wrapped around your wrist, right? My poles are out and my skis are on top of my poles and I'm literally handcuffed face down in the snow and I'm shouting, someone please get me up. I don't know if you've ever had an experience like that, but that's where the Pharisees are at. So what do they do? Now, this is really important. Because they realize they couldn't do it, they respond by beginning to fake it. They start faking that they really are 
the kind of people that the law asks them to be. Now that kind of faking results in them becoming people who, well, they, they, they begin to pretend that they're these people that they're not. They be, to pretend to become, to be more righteous than they really are. That leads to them performing. And their religion becomes a religion of performance to earn people's praise and approval, to impress people, to hopefully impress God and each other. Now that leads to pride. And that pride led to the worst thing of all, they perverted the law. So they pretended, they performed, they became proud, and they perverted the law. They began to use the law rather than as an extension of God's love to people, maintaining God's heart of justice and fairness and mercy to people, they used it to control and gain power over people. People died, people were alienated, people were shamed and humiliated by the way they used the law over other people's lives. That's perverting the law. And that's religion at its worst. Rather than admit that they couldn't keep the law, they hid it and became fakes. And eventually they believed their own performance And that's what the Bible calls having a hard heart. Now here's the point that Jesus is trying to make about all this, that the Pharisees are a warning to all of us, religious or not. See, a Pharisee is not just a way of describing a religious person who takes their law seriously. It's what happens to any and every human being who's trying to abide by whatever law, um, their government, the law of their own life without the help of God because eventually we fall below that standard. We realize we're not the kind of people we wish we could be. We begin to hide it. We begin to pretend, we begin to perform. That creates pride in our life. And that creates a huge distortion and perversion of who we were really meant to be. When we only focus on the external of our lives and ignore what's happening on the inside, we end up frauds and cheap second rate imitations of our true selves. That's Jesus's concern and lesson about the Pharisees. A favorite author of mine once wrote, there's nothing more important than learning to love and be loved. This law is written in every one of our hearts and it represents the really the purpose of our life. This is what we long for. We long to love and be loved. That's what the Bible means when it says that love is the fulfillment of the law. And every one of our hearts resonates with that longing for fulfillment. We long to have that law of love fulfilled in us. Meaning we long to love, we long to be loving people to our wives, our children, our coworkers. But more than that, we long to be loving people because we know that feeling when we're just faking it and it's not really who we are. Now, Listen to this amazing quote. Um, Paul said, oh, actually that quote earlier, that the law, that love is the fulfillment of the law comes from a former Pharisee. His name was Paul. Again, the Pharisee, he was one of those Pharisees who was trying really hard to live by the law, by his own standard, but he wasn't able to do it. And instead he became a murderer and a persecutor and a torturer of human lives until he met Jesus. Now that takes us to Jesus. Okay, so the law's purpose, again, the purpose of the law was to guide us in a life of love, loving God and each other. The Pharisees tried to live out that law, but they saw that they were failing and they hid it. And that hiding 
actually led to a performance-based religion that ultimately resulted in them perverting their own nature. They used the law to control people. They lived fake lives. Now that takes us right now, what Jesus, how Jesus fulfills the law. Listen to this. Jesus said in verse 17, I want to go back to that statement. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So how does Jesus fulfill the law by fulfilling this law of love? And I want to explain that. The law was meant to show us who we were meant to be not just what we are meant to do. That's super important. I'm going to say that again. The law was meant to show us who we are meant to be, not just what we are meant to do. By focusing on doing loving things and ignoring the call to become loving people, that's where things get off course. That leads to a sense of when we focus on doing the loving thing without having hope that we can become loving people, we're going to come face to face with our failure. We're going to either find ourselves feeling ashamed of our failure or full of self-righteousness like the Pharisees, blaming other people for our inability to love. The law requires we become loving people. And that's the challenge and the problem for the human race. And that's what Jesus came to deal with and to fulfill. Jesus fulfills the law because only Jesus can transform you into a loving person. Now, isn't that really in the end what we all really want? Yeah, it feels good to love people and for everyone to think we're loving, but deep down inside, we know our own hypocrisy and it's wanting to become a loving person that Jesus came to set us free to accomplish. God's love transforms you. He transforms you by filling you with God's love And that love alone has the power to change you into a loving person. Listen to this scripture. In John's first letter, one of Jesus' followers, all right, John, he wrote these letters to people who were following in the way of Jesus. And he wrote this. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. That idea of an atoning sacrifice, that's talking about Jesus's death on the cross. Have you ever wondered what the purpose of Jesus's death on the cross was? I mean, like, why did Jesus have to die? And what difference does that make for us? Because in that moment, when Jesus died, he was doing a few things. According to this passage, number one, he was demonstrating to the world definitively the nature of God's love. If you're wondering what God is like, God's willingness to die on the cross in order to save you is the definitive statement of how God feels about you and the the length to which he will go to rescue your life. Number two, when Jesus died on the cross, he died absorbing into himself all of the sin of the world. The sin is a way of describing all the things in you and in me that keep us from becoming the people of love that God created us to be. You see, it's not just about doing more or trying harder. It's about a fundamental change in who you and I are in our very nature. And that's where sin is. Sin is a way of describing the fundamental breakdown in our very nature. It's not all bad. Our nature's not all bad. It's broken. And Jesus came to heal that break. Through Jesus' death on the cross, God's love forgives us and cleanses us from that sin. 
that keeps us from becoming people of God's love. That cleansing allows Jesus to send the Holy Spirit into your, our lives so that God is living inside of you. And he is compelling, propelling, and empowering your actions, your ability to forgive and be generous beyond your wildest imagination by living inside of you and changing you from the inside out. Not a law outside of you telling you how you should be, but a dynamic, energizing force and presence within you. First, affirming God's love for you and then exploding within you in love towards other people. It's love that opens us up in our most vulnerable places of our life so that we can be healed. And that's why love is so important because love creates the safe place for us to open up in our most vulnerable place, the places of our weakness, our failures, the places of our pride, our selfishness, our mistakes. Love creates the, the, the safety and gives us the confidence that we can face the worst parts about ourselves and not be condemned by it, but be forgiven, cleansed, and transformed. Do you know what I'm talking about? I mean, have you ever experienced that moment where you're face to face with some part of you that you just can't stand? You stop focusing on blaming other people and you have a moment where you look at yourself. I remember when I was young and I had been through a series of relationships and I was just breaking up with one girl, dating another person, breaking up, dating. And finally, there's a moment where I realized it wasn't really about all these different women, these different relationships that I was dating. There was something fundamentally broken in me that was following me into every relationship and causing those relationships to suffer. Have you ever had a moment like that? Those are scary moments or intimidating moments, but they're moments we can trust that when we go there with Jesus, he is the presence and the power that is going to heal us and transform us and set us free. Now, John goes on in verse 19. He says something really amazing. I want to read this to you as we come to the close. He says this, we love because he first loved us. That's super important. And that's what this whole message comes down to. How does Jesus fulfill the law? But because by filling us with God's love, we are then free to love other people. That fulfills the law. You can go out and focus in your life on doing loving things, but doing loving things is not going to make you a loving person. It's becoming a loving person that allows you to live a lifelong journey of loving other people and loving God. And by accepting Jesus as the leader of your life, by accepting God's love into your life, that's what transforms us. There's two ways to do that. Number one, we accept Jesus into our life every time we repent and acknowledge in our life a place where we're off and we're not loving as we should. Rather than being guilty or condemned or put to shame, we just admit our fault. We accept God's forgiveness and we ask for God's help and we let the Holy Spirit renew us and give us a clean slate to start with. We humble ourselves with our friends, our neighbors, our children. But before that can even happen, we need to open our life to Jesus as the leader of our life. And for those of you who, maybe you've never accepted Jesus into your life, you're listening to this invitation, this idea of becoming a person of love, not just doing loving things, but having love in our very core self. It comes from letting God love us. And I want to invite you to do that right now. If you would like to let the love of God into your life, 
to fill you and transform you. I want to invite you just to pray this simple prayer with me. Are you ready? Just close your eyes. And let's pray. Father, I've been trying to be a good person on my own, living by my own law. But the truth is, God, I can't even always live up to my own standard, much less yours. I just freely admit I'm not the loving person I wish I was. Sure, I have moments that are cool. I sometimes get it right, but deep down inside, I'm not the loving person I wish I was. When I'm offended, when I'm hurt, when people don't agree with me, when people don't see things my way, when people hurt me, when people let me down, my true colors show. And I admit that to you, God. And I want to invite you, Jesus, to forgive me and cleanse me for all the ways I failed to love you, others, and even myself the way that you would. I want to accept that forgiveness right now. I want to open my life to be filled with your Holy Spirit. And I want to bless you as you're listening to this, just to open your heart right now. I'm going to pray. Lord, I pray for your Holy Spirit to fill every person as they pray this prayer. To fill them with your love in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a number at the bottom of the screen that you can text, and you can text this number anytime this week. And as you text that number, it's a way of reaching out to us, and we want to work with you on how to take next steps in this newfound faith. Now, I want to invite Robin to join us so we can talk about how we can apply these lessons to our everyday life, in particular when we're having conflict with people around us. So Robin is going to join us right now. I'm so happy to to introduce to you the illustrious, the indefatigable, the ever-inspired Robin Ranke. Robin, thanks for helping us out and explore deeper what Jesus is teaching us today. But before we get into our conversation, I want for our listeners' sake to go back and read uh, the last portion of what he teaches, all right? So let me go back and read it because this is where Jesus applies the principle of fulfillment of the law to our everyday life, right here, verse 21. You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Now, already you can see in this passage, in this moment here, how Jesus is saying, okay, the law teaches don't murder, but that's not enough, right? That's the, don't do, that's the doing part. And he want, he's leading us away from, don't focus on just not doing murder. Let's become not murdering people. And so he, he leads us to, to look inside to go into the hood of our souls and to look into this area. And he talks about anger. And I want to just go to you because, you know, you're an MFT and you've had a lot of experience guiding people through their, their inner life and talking about maybe probably anger among other things. So help us understand why anger is such a destructive force in our life. Well, I think, Ryan, in, in Scripture, it's such a powerful verse you just read. And I think in Scripture, it talks about that it's okay. We will have anger, 
But Ephesians 4.26 says, in your anger, do not sin. So it's what do we do with this anger that is going to bubble up inside of us when we feel wronged? Yeah, that makes sense. So it's, it's so comforting to know because I think anybody and everybody can relate to having moments of anger. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's not feeling the anger that's the problem. It's what we do with it. That's right. Okay. So let's go there then. Mm-hmm. In what ways does anger become a destructive force in our life? When does it get toxic? Right. Well, I think, you know, Ephesians 4.26, when we don't deal with that anger and we let the sun go down on our anger, then a bitter root will form and a bitter root defiles many. And we've all been around and we've all experienced bitterness at some point in our lives. But uh, bitterness is very toxic. It's very destructive and it's very hurtful. Now, when you say sun go down, there's a couple of things about that particular piece of scripture that you brought up. One, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Does that mean like literally like don't ever go to sleep unless you've made peace with everyone in the world? I mean, what is that? What is the scripture trying to say to us about anger there? Right. I think that's a great question. And actually, we, we learned this about 20 years ago. We've been married 30 years. And I remember we would try to stay up late all night trying to work out something. And the, 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 later, the later it gets, I the feel like, worse it gets. Yeah, the worse the fight gets. <laughs> yes. And so we learned years ago to say, I love you. We will work this out. Okay. Let's just get a good night's sleep. And usually in the morning, what you know felt like a felony at night is really a misdemeanor. So then the spirit of what he's saying, of the scripture's saying is, don't ignore it and don't just let it go unchecked. Or fester. Yeah. Okay. And become don't, malignant. Okay. Don't let it fester. And I like that metaphor. It, don't let it become malignant. Yes. Cut it out. Yes. Rest on it, maybe overnight, but then come back to it the next day. Okay. That's really helpful. Okay. So then there's this other idea about... Um, uh, the bitter root defiling many. So already we're, you're taking us deeper and deeper here. So Jesus is like murder, anger. Now we're going to bitterness and this idea that anger can become bitterness and defile many. Yes. What does that mean to defile many? Mm. I, think, I think of it as, in my understanding, is that it's, it's to hurt many. It's hurtful. Someone who's bitter is attacking and blaming and accusing. They become judge, jury, and executioner. And it's very hurtful. That makes sense. So we, already we can kind of see the, the challenge of what Jesus is, is calling us to. Yeah. So on the surface, don't challenge. murder. It's, a lot, it's easy. <laughs> it, in ways, it's a little easier to say, okay, don't murder. Right. You know, don't. <laughs> Um, just don't get divorced or don't, you know, flip that person off or whatever. Yeah, yeah, we all have moments where these things happen in our life perhaps, but he's actually calling us to an even deeper, more challenging place. He's like, okay, it's not just about not doing those things. Um, it's actually about the place from which they come. Yes. And that's what Jesus wants to deal with. I believe so. And we're talking about anger, bitterness, and, and the, the effect of bitterness on our life. Um, you, you mentioned earlier before we got to videoing that anger is a secondary emotion. Um, can you talk to us about that? Sure, sure. I, I think that anger is very powerful and people learn early on often that um, the, the primary emotions that could be driving it is maybe hurt, fear, or sadness. And so maybe, maybe you've gotten your feelings hurt. Maybe I've gotten my feelings hurt. Maybe I'm sad about something. Maybe I'm fearful about something and it can just get triggered into anger. That makes sense. I, I can, I can remember a time in my life where that happened. I remember 
This idea that beneath anger, there's a, there's a different emotion, a softer emotion of hurt or sadness or grief. I remember one time I was in campus ministry and I was playing soccer with some students and the student was kicking me in the ankles and I got so mad, I pushed him and I said, do you want to go? I mean, I almost started to fight with this person. I'm on campus to minister to students, God's love. And there I am starting to fight. But that moment became a signpost that there was something going on inside of my life that I needed to deal with. I was tempted just to write it off and go, okay, I, I'm just not going to play soccer anymore. I'm too competitive or I better not raise my voice anymore. But it became a touch point to recognize that there was depression and a, and a, a deep grief in my life that I needed to confront. Um, that's really helpful. So let me ask you this. How do we deal with this anger? Okay, so we're, we're going there. We're going to the anger, the bitterness, the, the place of hurt. Um, I want to talk about how do we cooperate with the Holy Spirit? so that we can be transformed from, a per, from people of anger to people of grace and forgiveness. Right. And I think for our viewers that some of us may feel, who are Christians, may feel like, you know, I get why we need God, but I don't know why, we need, why, why a counselor could be helpful. Maybe for those of us who are not Christians, we might be thinking, I get why a counselor is helpful, but I don't know why I need God. Can you help us sure. rec- see how the two can have a role in our life? Sure. I think a counselor can help give insight and come alongside and, um, you know, kind of take our hand on the journey. However, only God can heal a broken heart. Only God can heal or even soften a hardened heart. And our hearts often get hardened to protect themselves when we've been hurt. And so only He can heal. I've seen powerful interventions of the Holy Spirit. And only he can do that. No, no human is able to do that. Well, that's a powerful idea right there because it shows us that on the one hand, a counselor is a little bit like the law. The counselor, like the law, guides us to the place where we need the transformation, but it can't do the transformation. Only God can do that. And that's what's so powerful about the fact that the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us yes. and is doing this work from within us. What does it look like when the Holy Spirit is doing that transforming work in us in the, in the area of anger, when we're dealing with anger and we're trying to break free from bitterness? What does it look like to cooperate with the Spirit? Right. I think we have to pause and invite him in. You know, in the moment we want to retaliate, want to prove that we're wrong, right and why the other person's wrong. And I think as we pause and really stop and invite the Holy Spirit, another name is the comforter. And we cannot give what we don't have. And we need probably comfort in that moment. So to ask the Holy Spirit to bring his comfort and his grace and mercy, that allows us to heal, which then allows us, gives us the tools and the ability to repair with the person. Yeah, so that's significant because sometimes we can't depend on the other person to give us what we need. That's right. And what we want. That's right. But when... But we're so freed up when we have God in us, giving us the comfort, giving us then the mercy and the kindness and the forgiveness to give to that other person. That's really significant. I want to thank you, Robin, for just helping us take a quick dive into this and unpack this a little bit more. And now I want to turn to all of you who've been following us today. I want to help you guys know that you don't have to carry anger with you. And that's what's so amazing about what Jesus came to offer us, a way out of these places in our, in our lives that we feel stuck. 
In particular, what Robin was reminding us is that anger can become bitterness, and bitterness not only causes hurt to our life, but it causes hurt to, to people around us. And instead of harboring it, holding on to it, or being afraid of it, or hating ourselves for it, we can actually do what the Bible calls uh, repent and confess. Repenting is allowing God to change our mind, our perspective. And part of what that's going to probably mean is, one, it could mean acknowledging where we've been a part of the conflict, where we've contributed, being willing to face our own stuff that God needs to forgive and cleanse. But number two, confession, admitting and acknowledging that we've got this anger, we've got this bitterness in us. When we're willing to do that, Jesus is going to heal us. He's going to cleanse us. And not only that, he's going to cleanse our relationships and reconcile our relationship with our wives, our children, our coworkers. So this week, I want to urge you, you don't need to carry anger with you. Let God heal you. Let him cleanse you. And secondly, as you all know, we're in a time of tremendous need. And I want to just show you how you can be a part of making a difference. Already, a lot of people have been asking how they can help. Well, this is one way. We're going to show you a video that's going to outline a really practical way you can make an impact on people who have needs in this time. Once a quarter, for years now, as an expression of the heart of Jesus, we collect a special benevolence offering. During this unusually fraught season of COVID-19, many find themselves with unexpected needs. Because of your giving, out of the Benevolence Fund, we have recently been able to drop off groceries for families and those who are shut in, pay for medications and various other bills that people are not able to cover due to loss of work. Right now, we have the opportunity to collect this special offering. I invite you to pause and either give online at northcoastcalvary.org slash give or by texting the word give to 760-624-3986. Thank you so much, church, for your generous hearts. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today. After all this talk about the law, I want to close with a blessing that comes from the Pentateuch, the law. And it's this blessing from number six. And it says this, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and the Lord give you peace. May you be filled with the peace of God this week. Have a great week, everybody. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit our website northcoastcalvary.org.